In recent weeks, Russian forces have made some advances in Ukraine. Tonight, what could be Russia's first battlefield breakthrough in months, coming at a devastating cost to the city of Solodar in eastern Ukraine. And the forces leading some of those gains are from a Russian private military company. President Putin is increasingly turning to Wagner. And the Wagner Group is what is leading Putin's war right now, right now making the only known progress on the battlefield for Putin. The Wagner Group. It's a paramilitary force that supports Russian interests around the world, from Ukraine to countries in Africa and the Middle East. Over the years, Western countries have sanctioned it for alleged human rights abuses. And in recent days, more pressure has come down on the group. The Department of Treasury will be designating Wagner as a significant transnational criminal organization. The Wagner Group denies ties to the Kremlin, but its leader is close to Russian President Vladimir Putin. Our colleague Benoit Facon has reported on the group for years. It has this very strong reach. It's playing a key role in military operations, both in Ukraine, where it's quite unprecedented in, in a war in, in modern Europe that a part of the military effort is carried largely by a, a private force. So it's, it's taken a life of its own. And, and obviously the question going forward is, is this going to be almost bigger than its creator, which is the Kremlin? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, February 2nd. Coming up on the show, the Russian private military group that's drawing global condemnation and the man behind it. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. The man who runs the Wagner Group is Yevgeny Prigozhin. Prigozhin was born in the 1960s and spent some years in prison as a teenager. So Evgeny Prigozhin is this man who was sort of convicted on various, you know, fairly petty crime in the Soviet era. So he's got a story of having, you know, a harsh life, right? He's not uh, coming from the Soviet bureaucracy. And then in the 90s, he turned, you know, into um, a hot dog seller in St. Petersburg, which is where really it all starts for Putin and the rest of what is now the, the Kremlin, you know, uh, power system. So he's kind of a small entrepreneur with, with a difficult past, uh, which in some way gives him an understanding about food, but also understanding about certain harshness. Prigozhin had big ambitions, and he turned that hot dog stand into a catering business. So where he takes off is Prigozhin manages to buy a boat in St. Petersburg that becomes a very prized, you know, very reputable um, eatery. 
So he's obviously got a knack for food. And a regular customer is this really rising, you know, uh, political star called Vladimir Putin. Putin knew the value of a good cook. His grandfather used to be a chef who worked in the kitchens of Lenin and Stalin. The only person you trust with your life is your cook, right? It's the one who shares the food. And, you know, if the food is poisoned, you know, it's likely it's going to be stopped by the cook. You know, it may even be tasted by the cook. That is a story of trust that Putin understood and duplicated in his whole life with a man he trusted with his life, which is Evgeny Prigozhin. Putin really liked Prigozhin's restaurant. And when he became president, he hosted other heads of state there. Prigozhin became known as Putin's chef. But again, there's trust, right? If you come regularly eating somewhere, you don't want to be poisoned. And that's where you see Prigozhin feeding, serving, putting, and the head of state. You know, typically George Bush was one of them. And how did he go from being a restaurant tour on a boat to running a private military? So that's where the connection happened in 2014. That year, Putin made his first move on Ukraine. Ukraine. Russian troops spreading out throughout the uh, strategic Crimean Peninsula. Time President Vladimir Putin has signed bills making Crimea part of Russia officially. This now completes the area's annexation from Ukraine. Putin and though all eyes were on Crimea at the time, Putin had designs to get more Ukrainian territory. He's also doing something else, which is, is effectively invading eastern Ukraine in the Donbass, which is kind of the richest part from an industry perspective of Ukraine. It's also home to a large, you know, population of Russian speakers. But Putin can't officially invade it because that means the degree of isolation that Russia could face in terms of sanctions would be, would be too much to bear for the Russian economy. So he does a secret war. And this is where the Wagner Group got started. For a secret war, Putin couldn't just send Russian troops in. He needed something else. A private army of mercenaries. Their leader, Putin's chef, Prigozhin, who was already contracted to feed troops there. So that's where it all starts, really, the Wagner concept. Because the war has to be secret, it has to be a private army, not an official conventional army. Uh, so it, it helps basically deniability. These people are not supposed to be in existence and they're not supposed to be there. They're privateers. When the Wagner Group invaded Crimea in 2014, they wore no insignia. People referred to them as the little green men. How does the Wagner Group recruit soldiers for its private military? So the, the initial base where a lot of, you know, former ex-military, retired military, so experienced fighters. Along them, and sometimes, you know, both, a lot of convicts, people who had been in jail and were struggling to find a job. So coming back into the 80s where he was himself a convict, so he knows how to speak to these people. The Wagner Group grew from there. It used its private force of mercenaries to support Russian interests in other parts of the world. But it was very secretive and not well known. Do you remember the first time you had to cover the Wagner Group? Yeah, so it was actually when uh, Wagner tried to take over the Eastern Syrian oil and gas plant. And that plant was guarded by U.S. Special Forces and Kurdish rebels. 
And one day we learned that basically this Wagner group, uh, which was very little known at the time, um, of Russian mercenaries that tried to take over that plant. And what did you think about these Russian mercenaries in the Wagner group? Well, to me, they were absolutely mysterious. You know, what, what could they look like? Why are they there? What is the backstory of these people who travel far and ended up being killed on the front line in eastern Syria to try to take over an old factory? And then in 2019, Benoit got to see the Wagner Group up close, this time in the Central African Republic, where the government was fighting with rebels. Benoit went to a military base where the Wagner Group was working, and he was surprised by the guy who greeted him. He was basically a European guy with Nike shoes and, uh, and a bandana and an AK-47. And this guy was a Wagner fighter. So effectively, they even had taken over the biggest, the most important military base in the country in Central African Republic. Benoit kept seeing Wagner's people in charge everywhere he went. The degree of control was kind of, uh, kind of a little bit surreal. So you had the strategists, the bodyguards, the journalists and the military commanders, all Russian Wagner. When you saw them directing, you know, the Central African Army's military exercise, the person in charge was a Wagner military officer. I mean, they were they were like playing, you know, you had a military exercise, you know, so it's supposed to be a very martial and disciplined, and they were playing the prodigy, you know, fire starter. So they're playing really heavy, loud techno music as a soundtrack, which I thought like that's pretty surreal. From there, the Wagner Group kept expanding to new countries. To Sudan, which is gold rich, to Libya, and more recently they expanded to Mali which is another very mineral-rich country, again, really facing civil war. And unfortunately, when they arrived in Mali, unlike the Central African Republic, where they were very open about their presence, Mali was kind of the opposite. They've been accused, and including by uh, witnesses that I interviewed, of extensive massacres there. Prigozhin has denied these accusations, blaming the French forces for the crimes in Mali. Prigozhin had more going on than the Wagner Group's paramilitary operations. He'd also created a company called the Internet Research Agency. This group was accused of meddling on behalf of Russia in the 2016 U.S. elections. And now the U.S. special prosecutor says Yevgeny Prigozhin was deeply connected to the Russian campaign to sway the 2016 election for President Trump. A U.S. grand jury indicted Prigozhin in 2018. At the time, he dismissed his indictment. So this is where really is, in some way, was visionary in his strategy. Is he didn't just do muscles, which is I'm providing mercenaries and fighters. He didn't just do business, which is I'm trying to take control, you know, of ex, um, you know, clients in Syria. But he also combined his, all these operations with uh, disinformation practice. Over the years, Prigozhin has built the Wagner Group to be a powerful force. He's now one of the richest men in Russia. And the invasion of Ukraine has cemented his power. That's coming up. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, 
your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. In September, Prigozhin pulled back the veil of secrecy and took credit for the Wagner Group's advances in Ukraine. And he started publicizing the group's operations. Until September 2022, the Wagner Group did not officially exist. Prigozhin denied any connection to it, and also the Russian government denied its existence. Now it's the very opposite. You have Prigozhin saying, I'm helping my government by recruiting, you know, uh, Wagner fighters to fight in Ukraine. Uh, and by the way, I'm in, in, in a jail recruiting them publicly. Uh, sometimes with, you know, fresh recruits. So they don't deny it, um, you know, anymore. And plus the Wagner sort of, let's say, ecosystem, you know, of social media, like has a continuous, you know, coverage of uh, Wagner operations in Ukraine. One TikTok post shows what appears to be a Wagner soldier standing in front of a rocket launcher firing missiles in Ukraine. It's captioned, Wagner in action. So, I mean, it has turned from a completely clandestine operation or organization to one that is almost live coverage for Wagner-related social media. And in one Wagner video that went viral recently, Prigozhin is seen recruiting convicts from a Russian prison facility. <laughs> Can you describe what Prigozhin is saying here? Well, he seems basically saying, you know, you will, you will come and fight for us, but we cannot guarantee you'll come back. But if you do, you know, if you survive, then you're free. So that's actually the main recruitment ground. And if you look at it from the purely Russian national interest or the kind of the government's interest, that means you're not having children of average families, normal families, you know, coming back in coffins as much. You can balance the conscription. So these people obviously are given a second chance. They are more eager to go on the front line and risking their lives. So from a, from a domestic political perspective, it's actually very useful for the Kremlin to have Prigozhin recruiting all these prisoners to fight. According to the U.S. government, about 50,000 fighters on the ground in Ukraine are Wagner Group contractors. And 40,000 of those were recruited from Russian prisons. Last week, the U.S. designated the Wagner Group a transnational criminal organization over its role in the Ukraine war. The U.S. also said Wagner Group personnel have been involved in alleged human rights abuses in the Central African Republic and in Mali. In response to the U.S. action, Prigozhin said Wagner, quote, forges the greatness of Russia on its borders and far beyond. What do you think Prigozhin will do next? Like, do you think these sanctions will change anything for him? 
I don't think immediately. I mean, that means it's going to be even more discreet. He's going to travel even less internationally because he would be concerned about arrest or about the detention of his uh, of his private jet, for instance. I think nationally, uh, I don't see that it will make an immediate, you know, difference because he's so badly needed for the war efforts. Has the relationship between Putin and Prigozhin started to change? We have heard for several years of tensions. I know there were reports of more recent tensions that he was shunned. Putin needs him and somehow has trusted him with his life, you know, when he was when he was a cook. But as every political system of this nature, there's always a risk that someone becomes too big. So Putin's sort of strategy over the years has always been like when when he feels he's becoming a little bit too powerful to put it back in his place. But at the moment, it's clear the calculus is in favor of Prigozhin staying, you know, at the service of Putin to provide cannon fodder that Putin needs for the war. And what's next for Prigozhin? Does he want more? The question going forward is almost termed differently is, is there a risk that Prigozhin would grow too big? Prigozhin has political ambitions. He wants to found his own sort of populist nationalist party. What you can see, and it's obvious to everyone to see, is now that he's allowed and able to be a popular figure, he can't stop being one, right? He wants to be the center of attention. So is there a moment for Putin where Prigozhin becomes threatening? all for today, Thursday, February 2nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.